Well, tomorrow is the 4th of July, as we all know, and obviously it's more than just an important date that appears on the calendar. We really pause and take time to celebrate our country's, uh, our nation's independence. Um, but it's also a day uh, to spend with family or friends, to enjoy some good food, some good barbecue, uh, maybe some fireworks. Um, and I think the 4th of July is also known for um, the unofficial beginning of, of really right in the middle of summer. And um, we've already had the, the kind of unofficial beginning with Memorial Day, but July the 4th uh, reminds us, you know, that it's, it's hot. And we've really had some hot days uh, here in New Jersey. And I think it's going to cool off today and for a couple of days, so we get a kind of a reprieve of that heat. But um, most people, you know, a lot of folks get to go to the Jersey Shore, or maybe you get to go to a pool or to your favorite lake. And um, just, just kind of a roundabout figure, say like if you were going to the ocean and you like to swim in the ocean, you'd at least like to get your feet wet or whatever, um, how do you approach going into the ocean? Are, are you... Um, one of these that just run as fast as you can and dive into the first wave you come to, just to, just, just, I mean, just to get it over with. Okay, so for the rest of you, are you the kind that sticks a toe in, one toe and a little foot at a time, and uh, allow the water to rise slowly up you, because you, you just can't, you, you, don't, you don't like that cold? Or at a pool, do you just do a cannonball or a dive, or do you walk in? Yeah. Now we're all wishing we were at the Jersey Shore, someplace, any place but here. No. Um, that being the case, you know, I, I sometimes think that um, getting involved in church life is a lot like getting used to the water. Uh, some people just, um, just, just goes right into it. They just cannonball or just dive right into church life after they've been converted, after conversion, after they've been saved and born again by the Lord Jesus Christ, they just, they just jump in with uh, both hands and both feet. And uh, others, though, kind of take it a little step at a time. And, and neither way is the right or wrong way, but it's just a way. And uh, we often ask, why do we get involved at all? There's always the temptation um, you know, not to, to sit back and let other people do it all. And uh, that's not a good temptation to fall in. Uh, and I'm, just, I'm not talking about just this congregation. I mean, the church at large faces this. And it may be run and headed by Jesus, but he has made each of you a component of his church. This is your church. And so get up and take ownership of it. There is life after your conversion. And it's taking ownership of the local church, whatever church you happen to be in. And I think it's here for now. But I want us to read the entirety of the passage we're going to be looking at. Last week, Dallas did a remarkable job of uh, rolling out and and, and helping explain Paul's conversion and the true miracle 
uh, that it was. Um, so we're going we're gonna to look at the aftermath of Paul's conversion. And so under the topic, there is life after conversion and its service in the local church. So I want you to turn to Acts chapter 9. The verses will also appear on the screen. And let's pick up in the second part of verse 19. It, it actually um, ends kind of, kind of awkwardly um, with 19, but it's split. And so we're going to begin with 19b, and we're going to read through verse 30. Saul with the disciples in Damascus. Saul was with the disciples in Damascus for some time. Immediately, he became he began pro, proclaiming Jesus in the synagogue that he is the Son of God, and all who heard him were astounded and said, "Isn't this the man in Jerusalem who was creating havoc for those who called on the name?" And who came here for the purpose of taking them as prisoners to the chief priests? But Saul grew stronger and kept confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Well, after many days had passed, the Jews conspired to kill him. But Saul learned of their plot. And so they were watching the gates and, and, uh, day and night, intending to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the wall. And when he arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him since they did not believe that he was a disciple. And Barnabas, however, took him and brought him to the apostles and explained to them how Saul had, been seen, had seen the Lord on the road and that the Lord had talked to him, and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in Jesus' name. Saul was coming and going with them in Jerusalem, speaking boldly about the name of the Lord. And he conversed, and he debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the brothers found out, they took him down to Caesarea and shipped him off to Tarsus. Well, Let's just review a bit of Saul's uh, really spiritual journey, is the way that I would put it, of his life after conversion. And so it'll, it'll be up here on the screen. So uh, these seven words really speak to the fact of Paul's conversion. So there was rage. And Dallas really spoke to that last week. He, he used the word murderous rage. I mean, he, he had a spirit about him that I think was of the devil. And I think Paul was really possessed by this spirit. He, he, he thought he was doing good. He thought he was doing the, a righteous act for God and, and, and for the Jewish people. But he was filled with rage. And then he was filled with repentance. I mean, it was just like that. It was, it was just as simple and as complex as that, uh, he, on the Damascus Road, gave his heart to Christ, and then uh, Ananias came and, and, and really just, you know, helped, helped solidify Paul and gave him a good foundation. And then there was what we call a retreat for Paul. You see, between verses 22 and 23, scholars believe that that's where we can insert 
what we discover from Galatians 1 and verses 17 through 18. I encourage you to go back and read those verses. We won't read them this morning. But Paul told the Galatian church that he consulted, that following his conversion, he consulted no man. He didn't consult the church. He didn't return to Jerusalem, but went to Arabia Seminary. You know, it was kind of a, a study. It was kind of a college university of sorts. And uh, actually, he was by himself there in the desert. For three years, the Holy Spirit just did kind of a, a you just downloaded all this information, all this theology, all of this doctrine, and really changed who Paul was. And, and from that experience, you know, I mean, uh, before, you know, Paul went to Arabia, uh, he was just preaching Jesus. He was preaching Jesus. And he didn't really have a foundation. When he comes back from Arabia, he's, he's now filled with doctrine. So he's writing to the Ephesians, that wonderful letter. He writes to the Romans, all of this, this wonderful theology and doctrine. He writes to the Galatians and to many others. So Paul really gets educated in those three years. And he returns. He returns to Damascus, and that's in verse 23. But he's rejected. They try to kill him there, but he's rescued. He's rescued. Looking again at, at verses uh, 25 and 27, let's follow. But his disciples took him by night and lowered him in a large basket and, and an opening in the wall. But when he arrived in Jerusalem, uh, he tried to join the disciples, but they were afraid of him. Well, I would be too. I mean, this, this, this guy... Just, you know, time before, he was, he was going to kill uh, or, or imprison you. He, had, he truly did not have your best interest in mind. And now, wait a minute, hmm, he wants to preach the gospel? What is he up to? Well, Barnabas, verse 27, Barnabas knew. And, and Barnabas, however, but I, I, like, I, I like everybody else's version, but Barnabas. Oh, that's a good, that's a good one. But Barnabas took him. And brought him to the apostles and explained to them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road and the Lord had talked to him. And how in Damascus he had spoken boldly about the name of Jesus. But Barnabas. You know, right there, the son of encouragement. That's what his name meant. And we all need a Barnabas in our life. But more importantly, are you a Barnabas to someone else who really needs that encouragement. Well, I want you to think about that as we look at the results. The results of Paul's spiritual walk, of his, of his journey. What actually happens? Well, it tells us in 28 and through 30, Saul was coming and going with them in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He conversed and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. And when the brothers found out, they took him down to Caesarea and shipped him off to Tarsus. You know, the, the whole book of Acts can, can really be described in four directions, four directional words, up, down, in, and out. Uh, chapter 1 is all about Jesus. And Jesus ascends, ascends to heaven, so he goes upward. Chapter 2 is about the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes down. So Jesus goes up. He sends the Holy Spirit down. 
and in people's hearts and lives, fills them with the Holy Spirit, but then sends them out, up, down, in, and out. Sounds like an exercise program, you know, but, but it's the way God chose to do it. Jesus goes up to heaven. He sends his Holy Spirit to invade our lives, and out he sends us. And that really describes Paul, and it describes each and every one of us. Every born-again believer has experienced the Holy Spirit's filling and then sending you out. And it could just be in the, in the ministries of the local church. I don't necessarily mean by that send you out as a missionary. Although, as Ken and Sabrina have showed, it, it may be to send you out as a missionary. But Saul shows us not only how to get involved and to take ownership of the church, but also how to deal with the fears and the disappointments when we think we failed at something. We failed at a ministry. We didn't, we didn't do it um, in a way that, that really worked. We tried our best. But for Saul, it was literally days before that he was trying to destroy the church. Now he's trying to build the church up. And, and how, do, how does that happen? How, how, how quickly can a person transform? Yet because of the word of God and, and the risen Christ in his life, Saul had done a complete 180. A complete 180. And at once, it says, immediately, it says in verse 20, he began to work. His job here being preaching. He immediately gets to work. Now, I know the way we often think, because I think this way, and I'm assuming many of you think this way, uh, that we're, we've, we immediately go to several excuses why we can't serve or why we shouldn't serve or take ownership of the church. We think others should take and can take ownership of the church, but maybe not us. And we're going to try and reason that we may say, Paul's just a bad example, Pastor. He, he was so mighty in the Lord. He, just, he, he was somehow superhuman. But Paul was not super, superhuman. But in case you're thinking that he was a bad example, we might come up with this excuse. We might throw out that Saul was an apostle, and he was a wise man. And he was a man of knowledge. My goodness, he was so smart about the Scriptures. More than any of us here. And you'd be right. None of us have been called to be an apostle. None of us have those special gifts. None of us um, can maybe preach like he did or do signs and wonders like he did. But it does not mean that somehow we're worthless that God can't use us, that our work is meaningless. Another excuse is this, that we might come up with. We might use this, um, what we might say is, we're not the kind of person that's going to go into a church and make a big splash like Paul did. I mean, boy, wherever he went, he just spoke, he just preached, he just debated. Man, I'm... That's not me, we might say. You may feel like you're not somebody who just, like when it comes to water, just jumps right in. Oh, pastor, I need to, I, I got to take a little warming up. 
But is the only job in the church preaching? No. Uh, do you have to stand up in front of others and lead? Is that the only other job in the church? No way. Uh, our actions are blessed by God when we give over to Him whatever gifts we've been given. Do we have to be flashy and out in the open? No. You might not be an apostle or a leader or a, a, an out-in-front kind of a person in the church, but God still has work for you to do, and He considers you an important part of the equation. In a letter to the Corinthian church, he talks about the church as if it were a body. Yeah. Some of us are like a hand, others are like an eye, and so forth. But plenty of us are like the parts of the body that are not used as much, or not seen, or not as visible or flashy like a foot, or the ear, or an eye. If you've ever had a problem with these less visible parts, like an ankle or a rib, you would realize quite quickly how invaluable they really are. You just have uh, one body part go down and you feel it. You realize, you're going to say, well, hey, I got a lot of other body parts. I can handle that one not working well. So for those times when you wanted the eyes to take over or the hands to, you know, or the, either the eyes or, or the hands because you feel like you're a lowly knee. Somehow you can't serve. But when we think that way, we hurt the church. You may have thought that you were being humble by letting others do the work but you're actually being selfish. And by allowing everyone to do the work, they get tired. And sometimes those folks get burned out. And yet, even though you may not have taken ownership of your church, you're still a part of the body, connected to Jesus Christ, who is the head. And he's not going to cut you off because you've failed. Failed to live up to what he wants you to do in the church, whatever that is. And just as your head thinks about the body, thinks about the body part that's hurting, Jesus, being intimately connected with you, is going to think of you. He's going to do whatever it takes to get up and running and obviously this is the truth if he was willing to go to the cross and sacrifice himself on our behalf you may think yourself lowly uh, just a knee not an eye like Saul maybe not a mouth like Saul but you're not just a knee listen you're Jesus's knee you're Jesus's knee and you are vital to him. And that being said, the world is still not going to highly value you or your spiritual gifts or your Christian walk. 
This part of Saul's life can sometimes get a bit confusing, so let's briefly go over the timeline again. First of all, Saul sees the Lord Jesus. He gets saved and baptized. He starts preaching, and then he leaves for an entire year to get educated in Arabia. And then he comes back, and he starts preaching again, and the Jews try to kill him again. So he leaves for Jerusalem, and where after some hesitancy on the part of, of several people, uh, sometimes they were apostles and they had a real hard time with Paul, he joins their ranks and begins to preach. Until again, people try to kill him. So he is once again forced to flee, this time for his hometown of Tarsus, where he stays there for about eight years. And again, we have no idea what he was doing during this part of his lifetime. Or do we? He was preaching. We don't read that, but I know he was preaching. And from an earthly perspective, Saul had to have seen the first parts of his ministry as a failure. As a failure. Here he is chosen directly by Jesus to be his servant, to carry the good news of salvation to the world. And people are trying to kill him for it. And even though some came to faith by hearing the message he brought there in Damascus, he was forced not to leave once but twice for fear of his life. And yet from God's perspective, was he a failure? Was Paul a failure? Saul a failure? What Saul had done was pleasing to the Lord. God had not tasked Saul with changing the hearts of men everywhere. It was not his job to change. It was the Holy Spirit's job to change the hearts. He just had to be the, the vessel, the instrument in preaching and teaching for the Lord. So when it's you who realizes there is life after conversion and it's a life meant to serve and to take ownership of your church and to serve your church in whatever capacity. You're going to fail at times by all earthly accounts. You're going to be disappointed in what you were not able to do. But this does not mean you have failed. Just by putting and by doing your best, putting your all into it, God is pleased with your efforts. He never guarantees success within the church. God is pleased, no matter what the outcome. Saul may not have gotten everybody to follow Christ, but he did get some. Some did accept the gospel message. And some people are now in heaven because of the teachings of Paul. And God can and does use you to do good. This is your church. It doesn't matter how you go about your work or what gifts he did give or did not give to you. It's still your church. Work for it. Take ownership of it. And do it all because you know you're part of a body and that your head, Jesus, know all he's done for you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God,
as we prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's Supper, ask that you remind us once again of what Jesus went through on that cross, of the suffering and agony that he, he himself voluntarily, willfully suffered for us, for everyone who would call upon his name and believe that he died for their sins, and believe that he was resurrected from the grave. They can be saved. And we can place our faith and our trust in the master. Who is Jesus. Help us as we take and eat of the bread. That we remember his body sacrificed for us. As we drink from the cup. Help us to remember the blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.